Let's go to the Lord in prayer, and then uh, we'll look into God's Word in Acts chapter 9, continuing our study of Luke and Acts. Let's pray. Father God, we worship you because you are worthy. We are gathered here today not to try to achieve something, but because Jesus Christ has already achieved what is necessary to make us right with you. We're here because of your grace and your own glory. We ask, Father, that today you would help us to remember that nothing is hidden from your sight. You know everything about us. You know us better than we know ourselves, and so I pray that as we study and listen and, and apply things to our lives, God, that we would come before you asking you, as, as David does, to search us and know us, reveal sin in our lives, and, and create in us a clean heart. Teach us from your word, because you promise that it will not return void. In Jesus' name, amen. It's true, I'm no Simon Peter. Peter isn't your average Joe Christian. Peter is one of the unique apostles chosen by Jesus and given unique authority, unique spiritual empowerment, and unique influence. He's even first among equals in the small band of the apostles. So it's true, I'll never be Simon Peter. But do we see the unique ministry of the apostles and of others during this transitional phase when the church of Jesus Christ is first being established? Do we see that unique ministry and just read it for information and entertainment, but not for application? If you're an athlete, you don't say to yourself, well, I'm not Michael Jordan, I'm not Lionel Messi, I'm not Mike Trout or Shohei Otani. You don't just give up. What is it about their hard work and discipline, about their intelligence and understanding of the game that I can emulate? Or maybe you're an artist or a musician like some of the crew who was up here this morning. I'm not Leonardo da Vinci. I'm not... Wolfgang Amadeus Mozart, but what can I learn about their process and their understanding that can make me a more effective artist or musician? If that's true about us learning from remarkable people in any area of life, how much more should we seek to apply what we find in the lives of people God is using for his purposes when we study his word? Without thinking that we have to try to have a ministry that looks exactly like Peter's, what can we learn from Peter about living under Jesus, living for Jesus, living like Jesus? Read with me in Acts chapter 9, beginning in verse 31. So the church throughout all Judea and Galilee and Samaria had peace and was being built up. And walking in the fear of the Lord and in the comfort of the Holy Spirit, it multiplied. Now, as Peter went here and there among them all, he came down also to the saints who lived at Lydda. There he found a man named Aeneas, 
bedridden for eight years, who was paralyzed. And Peter said to him, Aeneas, Jesus Christ heals you. Rise and make your bed. And immediately he rose, and all the residents of Lydda and Sharon saw him, and they turned to the Lord. Now there was in Joppa a disciple named Tabitha, which translated means Dorcas. She was full of good works and acts of charity. In those days she became ill and died. And when they had washed her, they laid her in an upper room. Since Lydda was near Joppa, the disciples, hearing that Peter was there, sent two men to him, urging him, Please come to us without delay. So Peter rose and went with them. And when he arrived, they took him to the upper room. All the widows stood beside him, weeping and showing tunics and other garments that Dorcas made while she was with them. But Peter put them all outside and knelt down and prayed. And turning to the body, he said, Tabitha, arise. And she opened her eyes. And when she saw Peter, she sat up. And he gave her his hand and raised her up. Then calling the saints and widows, he presented her alive. And it became known throughout all Joppa, and many believed in the Lord. And he stayed in Joppa for many days with one Simon, a tanner. Although we cannot be Peter, we learn from this pair of miracles to model our hearts and our behavior after the kind of people we see God using in his word. Also in this text, there are other people that God uses as well, so we don't want to overlook them either. That's where we're going today. I want you to walk away being able to spot the things in Peter's life that you can copy and apply. And I desire for you to be encouraged that God uses a variety of people in a variety of ways. So the first thing we need to notice, though, is the context of these verses. Every time we're studying the Bible, we, we need to pay attention to the context. And here, it's really helpful for us to note three things. First of all, from the prior context, the reason I backed up to verse 31 is that what's happening in these two towns in Lydda and Joppa, we have the sort of church growth that was described there in verse 31. Remember that because the apostle or the because Saul was converted and became an apostle of Jesus Christ and it will be some 14 years because before he's he's really serving in the capacity in which we know him and he's called Paul to most of us. But the church because Saul was converted, and he was the primary persecutor. The church was at peace, and the church was being built up. Fearing, people were fearing the Lord and being comforted in the Holy Spirit, and the church is multiplying. And so this is in that context. And then secondly, there's no question that what's happening here in these two miracles sets up, it builds towards the significant and pivotal events of chapters 10 and 11. On this map, you'll see that the ministry we're talking about today is, is already beyond Jerusalem, toward the coastal plains of Sharon, just as Philip's ministry was in Samaria, and Peter and John came to him there. But this first miracle now in this section is in Lydda, but it has an impact on all the people of the, the whole region, that's Sharon, and the second is in a town on the coast called Joppa. After today, we'll leave Peter staying in the home of, of Simon, a tanner. And it will be at such a point that Peter learns that there are yet prejudice barriers that need to be broken down. 
for the gospel of Jesus to go forth to the end of the earth. Not just to Jews in diaspora, wherever they may be, but to all peoples everywhere. So Peter is uniquely positioned by the Lord to help the church learn the chief lesson of this broader section, which we're coming to in verses in chapters 10 and 11. For the sake of the whole church, Peter learns beyond a doubt that Jesus is for the Gentiles also. Jesus doesn't belong exclusively to the Jews, but his salvation is for all people of any language or ethnicity. Any people who will come to God through faith in him. In Acts chapter 10, verses 34 um, and to 36, we'll see this. So Peter opened his mouth and said, truly I understand, after he learns this lesson, that God shows no partiality, but in every nation, anyone who fears him and does what is right is acceptable to him. And then also, uh, verse 43 in that same section to him, all the prophet, to Jesus, all the prophets bear witness that everyone who believes in him receives forgiveness of sins through his name. That's the lesson that Peter will learn, and it's pivotal not just to this section, but to all of Acts. And I have no doubt that you understand it's pivotal to your life. But at this point, we're focusing on, on Luke's inclusion and and his careful description of these two miracles in Peter's ministry. So one more thing for you to understand, a third big picture contextual clue is to note that it, it can't be an accident how closely Peter's ministry here parallels the ministry of Jesus. Let me show you what I mean. In Luke chapter 5, not all of you were with us when we went through Luke's gospel, but in Luke chapter 5, verses 17 to 26, Jesus heals a paralyzed man who had been lowered through the roof. Remember, the house was crowded and they couldn't get him to Jesus, so they, they made a hole in the roof tiles and they lowered him down. Jesus told that man, rise, pick up your bed, and go home. Peter here heals a man and tells him to rise and make his bed. Peter also healed a paralytic at the temple gate called Beautiful in, in chapter 3. And as I'm talking about these parallels, you should know that it's not just Peter whose ministry is parallel to Jesus, but also the Apostle Paul in Acts. Paul's ministry carries forward this parallel as his first recorded miracle in Acts is also healing a man who was crippled from birth. That'll come in Acts chapter 14. Again, in Luke 7, Jesus raises a young man from the dead who was, who was the only son of his widowed mother. And in the end of, of Luke 8, Jesus raises Jairus' daughter. And in that text, Jesus says to Jairus' daughter, child, arise. That's Luke 8, verses 43 to 56. Luke's parallel to this is no accident, because when Peter prays first and then raises this woman from the dead, he says, Tabitha, arise. I'm just going to tell you right now that there's another crazy coincidence that you will likely be convinced is providence rather than a coincidence. In Mark 5, when Mark records this same miracle by Jesus, he says it this way. Jesus took her by the hand and he said to her, Talitha kumi, which means little girl, I say to you, arise. Jesus spoke to this girl in Aramaic. So Mark also gives the Greek translation, little girl, arise. 
If you haven't already found a footnote in your Bible about this, you'll, you'll notice that Tabitha is an Aramaic name, Dorcas is a Greek name. Both of those names mean gazelle. But the reason I'm telling you that now is because the similarity of the Aramaic word for little girl, Talitha, and Dorcas's name in Aramaic, Tabitha, I mean, you can't miss it. Anyway, Paul's ministry too has a parallel that authenticates Christ's continued work through him as an apostle. Paul raised a young man named Eutychus from the dead when he fell asleep and fell out a window to his death, Acts chapter 20, verses 7 to 12. And we, we also learned a valuable lesson there to not preach too long. Or if people are preaching long, don't sit in a window. <laughs> but really, you know I'm pointing out to you that these parallels are an intentional move by this author. We're meant to notice the similarity to Jesus' own miracles of this kind. You're probably also meant to look back at the mighty works of the prophets, especially Elijah and Elisha, and remember those too. Raising people from the dead by the power of God. David Peterson points out, rightly, Peter's Christ-likeness is highlighted at a moment when his authority is decisive to Luke's argument. It's important for Peter to be in this role for the sake of the church. So back in the last part of Acts 9, Luke gives us two miracles that the Lord does through Peter in his itinerant ministry during this period of peace and growth for the church. The section is indeed about how Jesus is using Peter. But even as the author establishes the unique position and role of Peter, he sets forth an example for us to follow. Let's talk about four specific ways in which we can focus our attention on how the Lord uses Peter and how he can use us. Again, I want you to walk away from this knowing that even though you can't be 21st century Peter, you can be used of Jesus like Peter if you will take the same approach to life that Peter does. God blesses Peter's pastoral and evangelistic endeavors. So what can we learn from Peter's model of ministry, a model he has patterned after the ministry of Jesus? First of all, Peter is about the Lord's business beyond his personal comfort. Because these uh, miracles are parallel, and the second one almost has more detail in it, it, it not only parallels the first, but is almost the climax. I'm just going to keep talking through these two miracles together. So Peter is about the Lord's business beyond his personal comfort. What we see straight away is that Peter has an itinerant ministry at this time. He has a, a traveling ministry. He's shepherding, one, and he's also spreading the gospel. His ministry is both pastoral and evangelistic. Christians are being strengthened. And it also says in verse 35 and 42, which I believe are the hinge of these two miracles, it says that many turned to the Lord, verse 35. Verse 42, many believed in the Lord. We'll keep coming back to that. But Peter is strengthening and sharpening believers. He's sensitive to the needs around him. And he's also spreading the good news. The good news that Jesus is the perfect and only Messiah. Jesus is the mediator. 
and that Jesus lives as reigning and returning Lord. I also want you to notice that Peter is about the Lord's business beyond his personal comfort. Peter was a family man. Peter had likely moved his family from Capernaum near Galilee, which had been the home base, which was Peter's home and the home base of Jesus' ministry. And Peter has likely now moved his family to Jerusalem where the church was born. But Peter, even though he has a family, is here, at least from time to time, traveling out away from Jerusalem to preach the gospel and to benefit the believers, whatever he can do to help. And then in the second miracle, we also find Peter responsive beyond his own comfort by being willing to travel 10 miles on very short notice, no doubt in a big hurry to get to Joppa where Tabitha has died. They buried people quickly. And so the ladies would have taken Tabitha's body, cleaned her body, and if, if Peter doesn't come quickly, they would have needed to bury Tabitha by the very next day. So even if this took place in, in the morning, it would have taken them perhaps three to four hours to get from Lydda to Joppa to get Peter, and then for Peter to hoof it back to Joppa with these other disciples sent to collect him. But he does this because he can help. For ministry to take place in the body of Christ and out from the body of Christ, we must be willing to make personal sacrifices for the good of others. And then secondly, not only is Peter about the Lord's business beyond his comfort, He's compassionate and sensitive to the needs around him. You're already beginning to see this from the parts that I'm pointing out to you. But like Jesus, Peter has compassion on Aeneas, who for reasons that we don't know, has now been paralyzed for eight years. Completely paralyzed, stuck in his bed. And Peter has compassion. When Peter's approached, again, hours away from Joppa to come help, he immediately departs from Lydda, and he goes with them in verse 39. We need to be compassionate and sensitive to the needs around us. I was thinking about applying this to myself and others who teach, that we can't preach truth unless we are preaching Jesus Christ and the truth of his word because we care about people responding rightly to God. And you can't serve as a shepherd unless you care about people and will make sacrifices to help them in their need. That posture isn't only applicable to folks like me who are serving as under-shepherds, but it's applicable to all of us who are in Christ. May we grow in the grace and knowledge of our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ, in such a way that we're compassionate and caring sensitive to the needs of those around us. And you know this. If we're not intentionally making efforts to think of other people who are around us, we will default to thinking mostly of ourselves and we'll miss the needs of others. We'll miss opportunities to encourage and build up and witness. Thirdly, Peter never presumes to do anything in his own power or for his own glory. 
where several or, or maybe all of the items in uh, the, the other three items in this list are, are just like Jesus, this one is different than Jesus because Peter knows he isn't Jesus. Peter invokes Jesus' name to heal Aeneas. Jesus simply spoke from his own authority as God the Son. Peter only tells Tabitha to arise when he has prayed, and in his prayer undoubtedly confirming that it was God's will to do so, and then trusting only in God's power to bring Tabitha back to life. Secondly, the goal is always the glory of God through the gospel of Jesus Christ. The point of these miracles is for people to turn to Jesus, not Peter. We worship God, not Peter. Here I'll quote Eckhart Schnabel as we're talking about the apostles and those close to them doing miraculous things. I want you to know, even as I say this, that um, I do so with sensitive concern for us and for people around us. Here's what Eckhart Schnabel says. The attention that Christian faith healers solicit and receive stands in in stark contrast to Peter's attitude and his demeanor. Before he prays for Tabitha's resuscitation, he clears the room of all who were present. While contemporary faith healers perform on a stage and in front of television cameras. We must ask ourselves what the purpose is of these things. The goal is to draw attention to the glory of God. And just even as that's true of this, so is this next point true. Peter's focus is on the power of Jesus to spiritually transform people. In other words, the goal of miracles in Acts, the goal of these miracles, the goal of Jesus' own miracles is to draw attention to the message. Repent, the kingdom of heaven is at hand. In me, Jesus says, the kingdom of God has come in a new way. I will make you right with God. I will give my life as a sacrifice as an atoning sacrifice, and I will rise again from the dead so that in me you can be restored to God. And the apostles have the exact same message. The point is not to draw attention to Peter. The point is not even to draw attention to the church. The point is to draw attention to the gospel of Jesus Christ. You'll notice that Jesus did not heal everyone. He healed some. But the point was the message. Peter doesn't heal everyone who possibly could have been healed. He healed some, but the point was the message of the gospel. What's the purpose of these miracles? The text makes plain the purpose of these miracles by highlighting their outcome, and they turned to the Lord. And many believed in the Lord. It's no coincidence that such is deliberately emphasized both times. So the purpose of these miracles is, one, to draw attention to the saving power of Jesus, and two, to picture the spiritual work of Jesus in saving. 
Look at Peter's words in Acts 4.10. As he and John stand before the Sanhedrin because they healed the paralyzed man at the temple gate. Do you remember this? In Acts 4.10, Jesus, or Peter says, let it be known to all of you as he stands before the council and to all the people of Israel that by the name of Jesus Christ of Nazareth, whom you crucified, whom God raised from the dead, by him this man is standing before you well. And he doesn't stop there. He says in verse 11, this Jesus is the stone that was rejected by you, the builders, which has become the cornerstone. And there is salvation found in no one else, for there is no other name under heaven given among men by which we must be saved. It doesn't stretch the imagination to presume that this is the kind of thing Peter said regularly in order to press forward the opportunity to present the gospel to draw people's attention to the fact that Jesus is capable of being a much greater healer than they yet imagine. The sacrifice of Jesus and his resurrection means that he can forgive sinners and grant spiritual life, making full and complete restoration to God possible. The lame walk, the blind see, the dead are raised to life. A picture of what Jesus Christ does for us spiritually. Is all of our ministry for the purpose of drawing attention to Jesus? And does all our ministry ultimately aim to help people see the glory and the grace of God in the gospel? We're leading people to understand what God has revealed to us. I can't but God can. What I am powerless to do, God does through Jesus Christ. It is all of his grace, and for it he receives all the glory. Now, Peter is indeed kind of like the Michael Jordan of the early church, but even MJ can't be MJ without teammates. Peter is simply obeying his Lord to fulfill the role God has given him in the body. But he would be under no misconception that he's the only one God is using. Remember, this whole context in Acts is about Christ building his church and what Christ is doing in and through the church. So we dare not overlook the others Jesus is using too. So let's talk briefly about how God uses some of the others in this passage. And what other ways might we be used by God? The first one is my favorite. Aeneas is healed so that others might be saved. Great job, Aeneas. You're the man. We're told that Tabitha is a disciple, so we know that she was already a follower of Jesus. But with Aeneas, we don't know for sure because the text isn't clear. Peter did go down to see the saints, but we don't know if Aeneas was one of them already. What is clear is that many others trust in Christ because this miracle is performed on behalf of of Aeneas. He just gets healed, and that's how God uses him. It reminds me that our lives are a walking billboard proof that Jesus transforms sinners. Jesus takes enemies of God and makes them children of God, living proof that what we are powerless to do, Jesus can and does do for us. And then there's Tabitha, Dorcas, She's a servant-hearted helper. 
also raised so that others might be saved. But we learn here that this was a sweet lady who was active in ministry to others. In the second half of verse 36, it says that she was full of good works and acts of charity. In the second half of verse 39, when she has already died and Peter comes to them, all the widows stood beside him weeping and showing the tunics and the other garments that Dorcas made while she was with them. And I picture these being things that she had made for the blessing of people in need. What a sweet and helpful and kind-hearted servant helper. Tabitha was a graceful gazelle in the body of Christ because she served willingly with what God had given her. And then there's also this second humorous part about how God uses us. People die all the time. Tabitha was still going to die again. But here Tabitha is raised to life so that others might be saved. Just to state the obvious, did Tabitha exercise great faith to have this miracle performed on her behalf? She couldn't. Tabitha's mind was unavailable at the time. And then we have the ministry of the two runners, more service-oriented people. Somebody's got to go fetch Peter. Is this a job that needs doing? How valuable, how essential does it turn out to be? Nothing happens unless two guys go get Peter. You might even make an argument here for the administratively gifted disciples here who, who have the wherewithal to think, hey, Peter's nearby at Lydda. Let's send for him. Various gifting and various ways that God uses us. We have Simon the Tanner, who's hospitable and generous. Simon Peter, I can't be, but Simon Tanner, that's my speed. Consider how God uses this other Simon. He opens his home to a traveling teacher, giving him a place to stay, providing for his daily needs, Hospitality and generosity. And hospitality is more than just giving or having people in your home, although it definitely is that. Hospitality is a posture of caring concern and welcome openness. And generosity is a desire to give of our own resources with a heart to help others and of wanting our resources to be devoted to the Lord's work. So now we've highlighted four things about the way the Lord uses Peter that we can apply to ourselves, and we've drawn attention to four other individuals or groups in the text that God uses in various ways that we can relate to. So let's close by summarizing how we can be used of the Lord like Peter and others. I don't want you to limit yourself to my closing thoughts, but maybe this effort of mine will help you make sure that we will be doers of the word and not hearers only. Hopefully, some of you will think of additional principles and applications, and that would be amazing. So when you talk about these things later with your family, when you meet with a small group, I encourage you to add to this list. But here's, here, here, are, here are mine. 
To be used of the Lord, we must first be in Christ. You can't be used of God if you don't belong to him. The spiritually dead are raised and given spiritual life. The spiritually lame walk and the blind see. It is true that God must do this for us, but we are also commanded by Jesus, repent and believe the gospel. Respond in faith to Jesus Christ. So too, to be used of the Lord like Peter, we must not confuse ourselves with Peter. How can we accurately deduce what we should learn for our own lives from Peter's life and ministry unless we can admit what distinguishes Peter from us? So we might not go around telling paralyzed people to get up and walk or make their beds. We're commanded to pray, even ask the elders to pray, trusting that God can heal and he will do so if it is his will. Similarly, to be used of the Lord, we must submit to the apostles' teaching. To be used of the Lord, we must submit to the apostles' teaching, not going beyond God's word. And I won't belabor the point here because there was in a past message where we were talking about bringing clarity to spiritual confusion, we, we drew the parallel to 1 John chapter 4, verses 1 to 6, where there are spiritual tests. There are tests for whether or not these things are from God. The first test is, does this ministry declare that Jesus is God in the flesh? And secondly, does this ministry submit to the teaching of the apostles? That's 1 John 4, verses 1 through 6. We dare not separate the activities of the apostles from the teaching of the apostles. And to be used of the Lord, we must have hearts to care for God's people and spread the gospel. Remember we said that Peter's about both of those things? He wants to, he cares about people, he cares about shepherding, and he wants to spread the gospel. To be used of the Lord like Peter, we must trust in the Lord Jesus Christ and not ourselves. To be used of the Lord like Peter, we must desire to elevate Christ and not ourselves. These things are so much harder than they sound. To not make it about me, but to make it about him. And to do so over and over again. To not trust in my own strength, but to trust in his. One of my prayers that I wrote down this week, you've heard me say several times recently that in order to stay focused and depend on the Lord, I've been writing my prayers. And one of the things that I wrote down was, Lord, I know that I am prone to do things in my own strength, and I confess it as sin. I need you to be my strength and my motivation, that I desire to elevate you and not myself. To be used of the Lord like Peter, we do not pursue, pursue personal gain, but the welfare of others. Is our goal some kind of secret greed or power or influence? Or is our goal the good of others to the glory of God? To be used of the Lord like Peter, we must pursue God's will over our own comfort. Hey, listen, the good news is about being in Christ 
that one day you will have all and perfect comfort and rest. It's just not now. Right now, in Christ, you are a son and daughter, a citizen, a soldier of Jesus Christ. So strap on your boots. Get up your sword. Put on the helmet. Put on the breastplate. Gird up the loins of your minds for action. There will be need for times of rest. Yes, the Lord has given us, because we need it, he has given us a process of Sabbath rest. We need that. But we also need to know that the, the ultimate rest is yet to come. You are literally fighting a battle for the lives and for the eternal souls of people. This is not the time of peace and rest. This is a battle and it's an endurance race. We will all go back to comfort unless we keep striving side by side. And you know what the beauty is of the body of Christ? When you hang out with other Christians, you see somebody else doing something that you know you ought to be doing, right? You're challenged to know, look how God is using this person. God, let me be like that too. You hear me say, church, that yes, God uses us in spite of us because we're so feeble and weak and prone to wander, etc. But in the prayer of your heart, say to God, may it never be that you use me in spite of myself in terms of my love for you. Change my heart. Again, I trust that you'll be able to think of more angles to add to this list, but here's a final thought. God's people, even in the midst of this battle, endurance race, God's people should be joyful and content to be in Christ and to be used by him, period. Our prayer should be that God will give us joy in belonging to him and give us a passion to be used by him in any way that he sees fit. That should be fine with us because it's not about us. It's about him. Let's pray. Father God, we thank you for the reminder of the lives of your people. Actually, maybe for some of us, it's more than a reminder. Maybe it's a paradigm shift for some of us here this morning. God, we, we pray that we won't just sort of get excited in the sense of pull ourselves up by our bootstraps and get going, but that we will see just how dependent on you your people are. May we draw near to you knowing that apart from you, we can do nothing. Unless we're dependent on you, we'll be distracted and we'll be weak. But God, we pray that you will cause your people to flourish, to bear fruit for your kingdom and your glory. In Jesus' name we ask, amen.